Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. There's still a Bible on the welcome table where you first came in, if that's you and you didn't bring one with you. Uh, we also, on our church app, have the Bible, Version Bible app is kind of embedded into the homepage. You can access it through there as well. We're continuing, though, our study through the book of Ephesians, where we've been looking at a series of studies kind of focused on things that we're learning from Paul's praise to God in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And in part 4, we're going to be starting with verse 9, and so uh, as a sort of a foundation point, but we're going to read as we've been doing, starting in verse 3. And uh, read through verse 14 here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, verse 11, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. This morning, our study is going to look a little different. I want us to revisit verse 9, which we studied last week, but really focus in on this subject. We've considered it sort of in the past, but really focus in on this subject of the will of God, using verse 9 as a, a starting point, a foundation kind of stone for us, and then looking at some other passages of Scripture. Um, and I want us to see that while there are some mysteries of God's will in Scripture, clearly, even as we considered in our passage last week, it does not mean that all of God's will is a mystery, and that we'd see that there's much of his will that he's already clearly revealed to us in his word that he wants us to know. And so with that, look again at verse 9. Paul says, Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. And I just want to point out some different moments just in this chapter alone where Paul references, he mentions the will of God. As a reminder, in verse 1, Paul said he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So Paul knew God's will for his life was to be a sent one, an apostle. In verse 5, we saw that our adoption by the Father was according to the good pleasure of his will. Then in the verse we just revisited, verse 9, we see that Jesus has made known to us the mystery of his will. As we're going to see next week in verse 11, when speaking about how we've received an inheritance, Paul says that that inheritance was predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then later in this letter, both in chapter 5 and in chapter 6, Paul is going to talk about the will of God again. 
So for me, as I consider that, clearly the will of God was on Paul's mind. Like four times, just in the first chapter, he's saying God's will, the will of God, the counsel of his will. God has done this in my life by his will. These things were on Paul's mind because as Paul was writing all of this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these things we read about God's will were on God's mind. They were on Paul's mind because they were on God's mind for us. God wants us to know his will. And there are things in God's word regarding his will that are not mysterious at all. Because I think that can be our takeaway, even from last week. Like, oh, it's a mystery. We'll never know it. No one can know. It's just mysterious, and it's spooky and weird. I don't really want to know his will, because if I know his will, it's going to be something crazy. He's going to send me into the jungle somewhere. He's going to make me Go get involved with this thing that I don't. He's going to make me marry this person I don't want to marry. I don't want to know it. It's just, let's just leave it a mystery. Maybe some would kind of, that would be a takeaway. Like, let's just leave it there. I'd rather not know, Lord, you're going to drop it on me at some point. We'll deal with it when it comes. But that's not the case. There are so many things in God's word, that are not a a mystery at all, that were not hidden, as we considered last week, this, this word mystery, not hidden in past ages to now be revealed in the church age, like in the verses we considered in verses uh, 9 and 10, or things that we'll see elsewhere in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus as he's writing about now this one people that God has made between Jew and Gentile that now comprise the church. It was a mystery before. It's no longer a mystery. There are things regarding his will that are plain and clear and should not be confusing or mysterious to us at all. Paul's continued mention of the will of God makes it clear that God has a will. He has a desire. He has a plan for our lives. And he makes it clear that our God wants us to know his will so that we can be freaked out by it? No. So that we can stand confidently in the will of God and then walk in faith and obedience to God's will. And so with that starting point in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 in mind, let's look at what Paul prayed. So Here Paul is just praising God for these things. In Colossians 1.9, he's praying actually for something regarding God's will for the believers in Colossae, but really for all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. So uh, Colossians 1.9, I love that these are connected kind of. There's a mention of the will of God here in Ephesians 1.9 and in Colossians 1.9. He says, for this reason we also... Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul prayed this because God's desire is for us to experience this, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so even though for many, the will of God is this mysterious, unknowable, unattainable thing that really only the elite of Christendom, the monks that are on some mountaintop somewhere else in the world that they only spend every waking hour of the day praying and being in the scriptures, those people know the will of God, which is not true. Even though it is true, kind of feels that way to a lot of people. If a person doesn't know God's will for their life individually, it's not because his will is unknowable. And that's encouraging for me. Because I can think about different times in my walk with the Lord where it did feel like that to me. And, And maybe it was not known to me at that point in time, 
But I, I feel like in certain things, when we read something in Scripture and then we're not experiencing it in, the, in that moment in our lives, we feel like almost like, well, that's for someone else or that's, that's never going to be me or God's withholding something from me that he just doesn't want me to know or something's, you know, something's in my life that's keeping God from, from kind of revealing this thing to me. But oftentimes, with the will of God, the things that we don't see are, are the aspect of how God is growing us and, and preparing us for the moment where he does maybe reveal that specific thing for our lives. Or a lot of times what we find later on is, God, you had a timing and a timetable that was not mine, and you were going to reveal it, you were gonna do that, but it wasn't yet. Paul would not pray this prayer unless it was actually possible for us to know the will of God. And not only is it possible, it is actually God's desire for you and me to know his will. So we're gonna consider that this morning and as I uh, knowing kind of what was coming up here I just thought gosh we should this these continued mentions of God's will I just thought gosh it'd be so good for us to kind of revisit some of these important scriptural foundational elements about God's will uh, so that we don't come away with this going like the last thing in my mind is I'm just thinking of how mysterious God's will is like that's not the takeaway it's just it's just a mystery because again this mystery is something Hidden in the past, it's revealed now, right? Or revealed in a different age. And so we're going to consider this idea or this subject of God's will here. And so Paul's prayer there in Colossians 1.9, he said, and he prayed, that we would be filled. That we'd be made complete or made full with the knowledge of God's will. So for me, that means not lacking. When something's full, you're not going like, you know, it's kind of there, but it could be more. When you fill a cup to the full, what happens when you keep filling it? It just spills over. It can't retain anymore. So this idea that Paul's praying, God, with your people, fill them in such a way where there's no lack when it comes to them knowing your will for their lives. And not just a knowledge of God's will, but he says spiritual understanding and wisdom. So God, not that I would know it, I would understand it. And then at the same time, along with understanding it, there would be an application to that knowledge because that's what wisdom refers to. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. So this is what Paul is praying for a full, complete knowledge of God's will, an understanding spiritually of God's will, an application of being able to live out God's will. And that's the, that that would be our experience, not just intellectually, but that we would know it experientially. And that's a really sweet prayer for Paul to pray. It's not one of those things where he's just trying to like gussy it up. Like, let's just really pray some, something real crazy. Sounds real good, but you're never, it's not actually ever gonna happen. Like, no, these are, these are things that Paul's going, God, you're, you could do this. You want to do it. Lord, would you do it? And, and to have confidence in praying that. With that prayer in mind, we then would ask, and these are good things for us to ask, what is the will of God? How can we know it? And so again, these are, some of these things are things that we've kind of considered at different times in the past, but so foundational for our lives to know that God's word speaks into this so clearly. God's will, we can kind of divide it in this way. Number one, God's general will. And then secondly, God's specific and individual will. And I think for many of us, we, would, we, we like to go to the second part. God, I just want to know your specific and individual will. Like I want to know, want to know your will 
in this moment in my life, but like the general will, which is a lot more clear actually scripturally, let's just kind of bypass that one and let's just go straight to the specific one. But we need to look at these things that God clearly, you know, puts in his word for us so that we can be walking in all of the will of God for our lives. And so God's general will is going to help shed light uh, into his specific or specific or individual will for us. And so the first point about God's general will, this is where it has to start for every single person, is that all would be saved. The very first thing in God's general will for all of humanity, God's will is that all would be saved. Just a first, uh, a couple passages here that we'll put up on the screen. First uh, Timothy chapter two verse four, Paul writes of the Lord that He's the one who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Then in Second Peter three verse nine, Peter writes that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, this is really the, the basic foundational level here. This is the foundational aspect of all the other things that are going to follow. Without salvation, a person is totally and completely outside of the will of God because his will for our lives, first and foremost, as humans, is that we would be saved we'd be saved and if anyone has joined us and you've never surrendered your heart to jesus you've never repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in jesus for salvation you need to know that god's will for your life is that you give your life and surrender to jesus christ and if that is anyone here this morning don't leave here without getting that first part in where it needs to be receiving the salvation of Jesus and we'll we'll give an opportunity for that later this morning but not only is it God's will is desire that none would perish all would come to repentance uh, along that same line there's also something here for us who have already received Jesus' free gift of salvation and that's that he wants those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ to share to spread the gospel of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus so that this first point of God's general will for all people will be fulfilled. You and I have a role, a part to play in helping to see this first foundational, massively important part of God's will happening in the life of somebody else. We have a part to play in this by God's grace. He doesn't need us in order to bring people to a saving knowledge of his son, but in his grace and his infinite wisdom, he's chosen to use us to be ambassadors of Christ who bring a message of reconciliation to people who are separated from God by their sin. That's us. People that have been reconciled are the people who preach reconciliation. It's saved people that God uses to help save other people. That's how he's designed all of this to work. And if you're thinking, I'm not the right person for that. Well, neither were the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. They were not the cream of the crop. They were a bunch of weirdos. Like, they had a lot of problems. They could not get their act together. They multiple times are fighting over who's the greatest. Jesus is like, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to suffer and die. And they're like, but which one of us, Jesus, is going to be better than everybody else? James and John with their mom, you know, coming over. Can my son sit at your right hand and your left? I don't know if she was elderly, but that's, you know. 
When you come into your kingdom, you imagine the rest of the ten disciples? Like, who? What? Mom! Calling their own mom. Why did you think of that? <laughs> Peter rebuking Jesus, denying Jesus. And we look at ourselves and go, not me, Lord. You wouldn't want to use me, Lord. He's like, no, you're perfect. You're the perfect candidate. <laughs> if I've saved you, if I've given you my free gift of salvation, then you're exactly the candidate that God's wanting to use to help save other people. And we praise God for that. Because that reminds us as we think about that commission, Lord, you saved me. That was me. I was separated from you by my sin. Lord, I was lost. I was in darkness. I was in bondage just as we considered last week. And Lord, you redeemed me. You purchased my freedom. Lord, you paid my debt in full. You shed your blood so that my sins could be forgiven. We want other people to experience that same thing. There is nothing greater. So that's the first part. All would be saved. That's God's general will. That's what his desire is. That's what he's seeking to accomplish here on this earth. The second point, though, about God's general will. Now, you know, once a person is saved, God's will is that his people would be continually filled with his Holy Spirit. We're going to look at this passage that we're about to reference in greater detail when we get there in our study through the book of Ephesians. But check out what Paul says in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 18. He writes there, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, why? Why is this a part of God's will? Well, once we're saved, guess what we still carry around with us all the time? This dead, rotting, sin, sin nature carcass that's just, it just goes with us everywhere we go. Always is wanting to just get up like God's going like, hey, I want this for your life. I want freedom. And I want you to tell this person about me. And I want you to love your enemies. And our flesh is like, no! And we're like, this is a hard one. Because there's that war. Paul describes in the book of Romans this war between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit of God yearns with us jealously. And the Spirit of God's always wanting to lead us into God's will, always wanting to lead us into God's best for our lives. And there's, the, there's our flesh, there's our sin nature, there's that, that carnal aspect of what God is sanctifying and he's wanting, and one day is going to be done away with when we graduate into our heavenly body. But until then, until then, our, our flesh is going like, actually, you know what could be God's will? <laughs> You know what might be God's will? I think it's this thing over here. It doesn't it feel really good though and it sounds really nice and this world is all telling you it's the right thing. Our flesh always leads us outside of God's will. Every time. Every really, it really does. Once it takes us outside, it's, it's sinful. It's contrary to what the Spirit of God has wanted to do in us and through us. And you know what? There, there are a lot of things in this world that we can fill ourselves with. Lots of things we could be filled with that would seek to control us. Paul gives a contrast in that passage. First with being filled with wine, drunk, which is dissipation or excess. Uh, and we know Alcohol alters the state of consciousness of the person drinking it. It causes them to do and say things, oftentimes, that in their right mind they normally wouldn't. It affects decision-making, and in a sense, we could say it controls a person. 
Paul contrasts that with being filled with the Spirit. And literally the way it's written in the Greek, and many of you know this, it's that we be continually filled with the Spirit of God. When we are filled and controlled by the Spirit of God, we actually think and see things rightly. The Spirit of God affects the things that we say and do, the decisions that we make, causes us to live out the will of God in our lives, and this brings glory to the Father. So we need to be daily and continually filled with the Holy Spirit, not just for discerning the will of God, but also for just living out these lives God has called us to live in a way that pleases him, that brings him the most amount of glory. You and I can't live out the will of God truly without the empowerment of the Spirit of God. He knows that. That's why he says you need to be filled all the time, over and over, ongoing. Because if we're not submitting our lives under the authority of the Spirit of God and what the Spirit of God is wanting to do in our lives, which again, he's always going to lead us in walking in the Word of God as well. Guys, we can't do it. We don't have it in us. We'll resort to our default, which is, I'll choose me. I'll choose my pride. I'll choose what feels good. I'll choose what everyone else is saying and doing. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's not a weird thing. This is a normal experience. This is to be the normative experience for every single believer. And so we go, okay, Lord, if that's it, if we're we're to be filled continually with the Spirit of God then God, there might be things that you need to empty me of. There might be things that I've been filling myself with that need to go because I can't be filled with the things of the flesh and and expect that I can also be filled with the spirit at the same time and that it's all just gonna, you're, you're gonna be okay with that. He yearns within us jealously. So he's looking at those things that we're giving ourselves over to and, and in the best sense of jealousy possible, in a, in a God-sourced jealousy, he's looking at us and he's going, I want all of you. I want every bit of you. And when we give God every bit of us, wow, what God does. The fulfillment that we find, the satisfaction we get to experience, the love that we get to rest in, the confidence that we get to stand upon, Because you know what? I don't have to feel shame or worry about the things that I'm allowing into in my life because, God, I'm giving you every bit of me continually. And we need to do that more and more, don't we? God knows that. That's why it's part of his general will for our lives. Moving on, the third one, God's will is that we would live pure and holy lives. Check out what Paul said to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8. He wrote, and it couldn't get any more clear than this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. He's talking about our bodies in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, in uncleanness but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. I always love when Paul does things like that. He's like, if you got a problem with that, like, your problem is with God, not with me. Purity and holiness 
while not popular in the eyes of the godless world we live in, are necessary in our personal walk with Jesus. You know, there's no way we're going to experience the kind of closeness and, and intimacy of fellowship with the Lord that God is desiring to have with us when our bodies are being used for unclean, unholy things and when we're allowing filth into our minds. And this, uh, this subject of purity and holiness and sanctification and sexual immorality, these are huge issues that we're uh, seeing prevailing in our world today. The world around us is trying to reshape and redefine what's okay, what's normal when it comes to sex and sexuality. And so many are confused. And and unfortunately, even with the church, so, so many are confused when we should not be. How do we know God's will for our lives when it comes to these things? Well, we go to the only source of absolute truth that actually has spoken into all of this, and that's God's word. The one who created us, who created gender, who created marriage, who created us to be able to experience pleasure, that's a gift from God, has a will regarding all of these things. And his will has not changed just because the minds of many people have changed in the world around us, viewing these things differently now than God does. God's will has been and always will be our sanctification, our holiness, our purity, that we would abstain, we would steer clear of all forms of sexual immorality. And we as the church oftentimes just are automatic when we talk about uh, sexual immorality as we, we lift up homosexuality as the, the main, this is the one we're really going to attack as a church and we really need to, that's just one that's just one of the things. Pornography, adultery, sexual intimacy before marriage, and homosexuality are all sins that we're to steer clear. They're not God's will for our lives. God does not call us to live lives of holiness and purity where we're to abstain from all sexual immorality because he wants to ruin our lives. He wants to ruin our fun. But it's because he created us. He loves us. He knows what's best for our lives. He knows how we'll flourish as individuals. And because he knows that sin will destroy us. God's word is clear on what his will is for our lives in the area of our sexuality and purity and holiness. And he hasn't changed his standards or changed his mind. But as we continue on, the, the fourth and last point about God's general will for those of us who are saved is that God's will is that we would be joyful, prayerful, and thankful. Check out what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. He wrote there, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, part of this shows the separation between us and unbelievers. Having joy, even in the midst of trials and suffering, is not how the world around us responds to, to difficult things, to suffering, to tragedy. And when unbelievers see us having joy, when, it, when maybe everything isn't going great in our lives, is an amazing witness and testimony to the power of Christ in our lives. That doesn't mean that when we're going through something really hard, we're just we're skipping around with this huge smile on my face, everything's great. And we're throwing flowers and giving out bouquets and like, like a put on fake sort of joy that like everyone's going, that's not, that's not really, uh-uh. Like I have seen many of you walk through difficult situations, go through difficult trials, deal, through, deal with tragedy and suffering 
and see the joy of the Lord in your life. And I've seen how God has used that to affect the lives of other people. Not only is it please the Lord that you're trusting in him, not that your trust is perfect. I don't know that any of us have ever gone through a trial or something where we're like, I wouldn't do anything differently. Like Most of the time I'm going like, Lord, I wish I had trusted you a little bit more and rested in, in, kind of, in, in knowing that you got me and you got this situation regardless of like how God is pleased by that, but then also how God uses that. The people that are around you in your life who are watching you and they know what's going on. You're not trying to fake it. Things are hard. Life can be hard and the situations that you're in can be hard. But when you are trusting in the Lord and you have that sort of deep abiding joy that only God gives, other people notice that and they're like, what are you doing? What's, what do you ha- like, what's happening? How, how is that possible? Not only does it please God, it's a witness to other people. It's a, it's a testimony to the power of Jesus in our lives. We pray without ceasing. That's part of God's will. Why? Because God wants us to talk to him. He wants to talk to us. He wants that relationship with us. He wants that sort of communion, that sort of communication going on all the time. It's his will. Why? Because he loves us. He wants to hear from us. He wants to speak to us. And that giving of thanks is God's will. Why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise of our thanks, of our worship. These are all part of God's general will. But if all these things are God's general will, and they, and they are, then the, the second part of that that we would then consider is, well then, what's God's specific, his, his individual will for my life? Would he have me take this job? Would he have me move here? Would he have me you know, be with this person? Would he have me pursue this opportunity? What's God's specific will for me? Not this, just this sort of general will for all people, but for all believers, but for me, God. And those are good questions to ask. And God, in that general will of him, wanting us to pray without ceasing. He's wanting us to bring all those things, all those questions, all those concerns to him all the time, asking him for direction. But while God has made it clear in his word what his general will is, his specific or individual will can oftentimes be pretty unclear to us. It may definitely seem like a mystery that we're not sure if God will ever reveal to us but know this it's still his word that we need to go to to help us navigate and discern what his will for each of us personally or individually is and so with that in mind Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 really gives us a good sort of blueprint if we will of how we can uh, seek to discern the will of God for our lives Paul writes there I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. First thing I want to point out about that passage, because I think this is important for us, is that God's will is good and it is perfect. How many of of us have ever thought as we're going through something like, God, this isn't good? Your will's not, I don't see the, the goodness of your will 
in this, or it doesn't seem very perfect to me. I would have done things much differently, Lord, if I were you. Don't try to act like you haven't ever thought anything like that. Not just me. It's good and acceptable and perfect. It might not always seem that way to us, but it is good and it's perfect. This passage provides us with some some important keys to helping us know God's specific and individual will. Look again at the end of verse 2 there. It says that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove there means to test or examine or scrutinize to see if it's genuine. So in order to prove if, if it's that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, we have to do these three things in verses 1 and 2. Present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. That's the first, the first place. A living sacrifice. That means we're coming to the Lord and we're going, God, all of me belongs to you. God, I'm going to stay there on the altar. I'm going to live that life of, of discipleship, we might say. Where Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, and we'll say any woman, any person wants to follow me. Pick, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me. And so many now, I feel like there's, there's this like, we just forget that that's a part of what discipleship actually looks like. I think discipleship nowadays, that a lot of people think of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is like, he's got the cross, and I'm just kind of like following from a distance. Cool. Jesus, you're awesome. They're like, no, he's saying, you, you want to follow me, you deny yourself. A life of self-denial, we don't, that's not the common thing. When we think of self-denial and we, we think of asceticism or we think of people who like this, the serious self-discipline, the monks, like that's the, that's the thing in our minds. But actually, that's to be the normal right approach to being a disciple of Jesus. I'm denying me. Why? Because I'm choosing you, Jesus. I'm choosing your way. So I'm going to deny myself, and then I'm going to pick up my cross. That means that old me, I'm going to continually recognize that that old me is dead. Dead. Because I want to walk in that newness of life, Jesus. I want the life of Jesus to be lived through me. That a life that I now live in the flesh, I I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, Paul wrote in Galatians. And this, this first part of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, that means we're not holding back. God, every bit of me, I'm gonna stay there. It might be hard, but God, I'm gonna stay there as a living sacrifice, willing, willing surrender to you. Then he says, to not be conformed to this world. And this is important because the world around us does have a mold that is trying to squeeze you and me into. It wants everybody else to be godless. It wants everybody else to be choosing self, to be choosing sin. And God's going, I... Instead of being conformed, I want you to be, I want you to be over here. I want you to be holy, separate to me, still in the world, but not of the world. Not living a life of compromise, but living a life of holiness where we're not being shaped by the world around us. And then he says to be transformed. By the renewing of our minds. You know, Paul later in the book of Ephesians is going to talk about this washing of the water of the word. And how we need God to do that work in our minds. Because the mind is that place where everything starts. If my mind is set on something, I go with that. 
So if God can get transformation into my mind, if renewal happens in my mind, being made new, God does this new work in my mind and in your mind where we begin to think new thoughts. We begin to think differently than we did before when we were living in sin, when we were separated from God by our sin. If he can, if he can gain access to our minds, he can then influence our lives because how we think is what influences how we live. And God, I need you to do a work of transformation, of renewal in my mind, because everywhere that I go, everything that I see wants to influence and muddy this, this place in my mind all the time. You can wash your hands. You can't wash your mind. And yet God can. He's in the business of it. He loves to do it. To bring renewal. Some of us, we put things into our minds in the past. We've experienced things that have damaged our minds in the past. There are scars mentally, emotionally in us that we could feel like are always going to be there. It can never be different. And God's going, I am in the business of renewal in your mind. Transformed. God is not looking to just clean us up externally. This is not, he's not in the business of reformation. We've had reformations in church history. That's not what he's looking to do with you and me. He's looking for transformation. That's from the inside out. God wants to shape who we're becoming. Who we're becoming. And when we look at these things in his word about his will, they're dealing predominantly with who we are becoming, not as much about what we're doing. Because if God is changing who we're becoming, guess what he's going to change also? What we're doing. How we're living, the decisions that we make. wants to conform us and he is conforming us as his people more and more into the likeness of Jesus and the more that we abide in Jesus the more that we become like Jesus the more we'll find ourselves living out God's will for our lives and just sort of a last passage here that I think is important for us that that goes along with that I love what uh, the, the the psalmist David uh, wrote in Psalm 37, verse 4. He wrote, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. That's not you and me going, God, I just think you're so cool, and then we just live like a little devil. Like, that's not, like, he's not going like, just, you know, just be happy with me. Just think I'm, just think I'm really cool. Like, that's not this delight here. It's not like I have an admiration of Jesus and it just kind of stops there. There is a stipulation in this verse. Do we see it? It's that we delight ourselves in the Lord. He's not going to give us the desires of our hearts if we're not delighting in him. If he's not our passion, if he doesn't have the preeminence in our lives, the desires of our heart are going to be our own and not the things given to us by the Lord. And David doesn't say, follow your heart. He doesn't say, just follow your heart. Just pray a couple times a week. Just follow your heart. No. But this amazing thing happens. This amazing thing takes place when we truly delight ourselves in the Lord, when the Lord becomes everything to us, everything to us, as we delight in him, and our will is brought in line with his, conformed to his, not only does he give us the desires of our heart, what we find, what I have found in my life, is that he changes the desires of my heart, and he puts his desires in there. Things that we never even desired before, we start to find there in our hearts. Why? Because all of us gets wrapped up in all of God. God, I just want to 
love you and I want to live for you. And he starts to shape our desires. And he puts them inside of us. And what we're finding is we're living out things that God has just put there. God, I'm just walking in things that you put inside me to walk in. That wasn't even something. I didn't care about holiness before, but now I do because, God, you're, you're doing that in me. Delight ourselves in him. He'll put his desires in our heart, and he will lead us into the things that are his will for us. Paul prayed these things that he did in Colossians 1.9. He praised God for God's will that's been revealed because God wants us to know his will. He, he wants us to live and stay in his will for our lives. And, and there really is no greater joy than being in that place of knowing that his will is being accomplished in our own lives. And I wish I could tell you all the things that are God's specific will for you but this is part of why we've been called to walk by faith. If you like, oh, you're, don't worry, your pastor's going to lay it all out. Or he just laid it all out. We, kind of, we considered this sort of last week. We'd be like, well, I don't have to walk by faith anymore. It's all right there. God, you told me what to do 10 years from now. Cool. Hopefully he'll come back before then. But if he doesn't. We have to walk by faith. We have to trust him. We've got to depend upon him. We've got to seek him. We've got to abide in Jesus. And for us, you know, we might be going, well, God, what's your specific will? I would just encourage us, make sure we're doing his general will first. Do the first things. There might be some unclear things. Do the first things and watch what he does. As you prioritize just God, I want to live out your general will for my life. You made it really clear here what it is. As we do that, watch what God does. Watch how he leads you into the things that are his specific or individual will for you and for me. And again, this is, you know, or, you know, this isn't some sort of magic recipe here. Um, but as we do these things, God will help us and he'll shape us and he'll lead us and direct us into a place where where really he has our full attention he has our hearts he has our lives and and gosh when god has our attention when he has full reign in our lives when he's truly seated on the throne of our hearts when we're not filling ourselves with other things but we're being filled with the spirit and we're delighting ourselves in him gosh god is going to lead you and he's going to lead me and he's going to lead our church into all of his will. And his will is good and it's acceptable and it's perfect and it's for his glory. Amen. Now the worship team come back up. We're going to learn more from Paul's praise to God next week. But just considering some of these things, you know, because I think it can be easy for us just in our, our humanness. Like, I, God, does just this thing seem mysterious? They, they seem unclear to know this morning that there's so much that God has made so abundantly clear for you and me. That he wants us to be confident in him. He wants us trusting him. That he wants to lead us. And maybe, you know, as we've considered some of these things this morning, we're recognizing it even in ourselves that there's some things. Maybe, maybe we've not given ourselves over to some of these things that are not God's will, but maybe our, maybe our mindset about some of these things is just not in line with God's will. We've, we've actually been influenced uh, in our way of thinking by the world. And this morning, God's going, get, get back in line. Get your mind back in line. With what I say here. Uh, and, and if there is things where we're going, actually, some of this, I, my life is out of line. There are things that I am doing uh, that, that are not God's will. And that this morning we would, in humility, just go, God, forgive me. I repent of those things. And I, I want to have my life be fully in line with and in the center of your will uh, for me.
And watch what he does. Watch, watch how he works in these things. Uh, but, you know, if you've come this morning and you don't have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, that first part of God's general will, he wants that to be taken care of this morning. He wants you to know that your sins are forgiven. He wants you to know that you're a child of God, not because your grandparents went to church. That's not how any of us get in. There's not a grand, you might have a grandfathered cellular plan. I still pay the same as I did 20 years ago, 15 years ago. If you have that, wow, you're awesome. But that's not how it works with the kingdom of God. No one's getting grandfathered in. If you have to have your own relationship with Jesus Christ, if you haven't opened your heart to him, if you've not repented of your sin and said, Jesus, be my savior, let's, let's change that today. Let's change that today. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that God, while there are some things that are mysterious, that God, you're a God who wants us to know your will. You have revealed your will. You continue, Lord, to reveal your will to us personally and individually. And God, we thank you that you do have a plan for our lives. Lord, that you uh, and your word, God, is, and, and your will is perfect and it's good. And God, would we accept your will? Would we get in, uh, on board with your will? Lord, would our thinking be aligned with your will? Lord, would we find ourselves living in the center of your will for us? And so God, if there's areas where Things need to change, God. Maybe change in our thinking about some of these things. That, Lord, maybe we've been conformed to the, to the pattern or thinking of this world in some way. That, God, we would repent of that this morning and say, God, I'm sorry. I bought into the lies of the enemy and the, the, the deception of this world. God, I, I want to get my thinking in line with yours. If, if our lives have gotten out, outside of God's will with us, you know, partaking in some of these things that are not God's will, that we would go, God, I, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to live a spirit-filled life. Lord, I wouldn't be controlled by some substance or controlled by my flesh. Lord, I would be filled with and, and led by your spirit. That God, if I've partaken and been there's, there's any guilt of sexual immorality in any form. Lord, forgive me. And God, this morning, I, I want to live your way, God. I want my life to be holy and pure before you. God, lead us in your will. But if you're here and you've never first opened your heart to Jesus Christ, if you, you personally have never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, maybe you've admired him from a distance, but you've never actually surrendered your will, your life to him. I want to give you that opportunity this morning that you can know that you're in God's will because you've received his salvation. Is that anybody this morning, would you raise your hand where you're at and go, that's me. I want Jesus to save me. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to do things God's way. I've been doing them my way. But God, I want to surrender to you today. Is that anybody don't let this opportunity pass you by. Raise your hand and say, that's me. Jared, pray for me this morning. Maybe even this morning there's someone joining us online or will listen later on. If that's you, just in your own heart, just to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I humble myself before you today. I repent of my sin. Lord, I turn away from it. I let go of it. Jesus, I turn to you. And I want to grab a hold of you in faith this morning and all that you have for me. Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my friend. 
Forgive me and save me. Make me a child of God today. I believe that you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave. And Jesus, I put my faith in you. I just encourage you if you've done that, the Bible says you will be saved. And Lord, I just pray for us as disciples of Jesus. Lord, you'd help us to live out that life of discipleship, Lord, that truly we would deny ourselves, we would pick up our cross, and we would follow after you, Lord, every single day. Lord, use us in this world for your kingdom and glory. Lord, that others would see you in us, Jesus, and be drawn to you through us. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.